are worlds between our own, and from these worlds there are written histories, both ancient and modern. To read of these testaments, scrawled in hidden places and on other things, you must fix your eyes uncomfortably within you, and if successful, your gaze will unlock the door behind raw imagination and meet the manuscript of innumerable folios known as the Dark Darkness. Hello, I'm Sharkchild, and this is The Dark Verse, testament scrawled in hidden places and on nether things with the sole purpose of sharing with you a unique world of horror and fantasy that will follow you to the visions of your sleep. Let's bring out the darkness. Have you ever had a dream where you were taken hostage in your own house by two teenagers One teenager commits suicide, the other teenager runs away, and then you look through the front door, only to find yourself looking at a horde of demons coming to your house to summon some grand evil. I definitely have had such a dream. And with that, welcome to the Dark Verse. I would like to let you know that... The Kindle edition of my book from the Passages of Revenants, the Dark Verse Volume 1, is now only $2.99 on Amazon. So make sure you go check that out. That's pretty much less than it costs to have lunch. So I hope that you can um, decide to put that on your phone or on your computer or whatever because you don't actually have to have an Amazon Kindle to buy a Kindle book and read it. Um, I'm also selling my actual hardcover version of the book for $15.99 at my own official shop on sharkchild.com. If you go to sharkchild.com, just click on the link that says buy the book now. It'll take you to where you need to go. And now, getting on to the good stuff, I am going to introduce you to episode 78 of The Dark Verse. And it is entitled, The Rotting Moments Ending. Seven demonized humans turned vile creations from wounds inflicted by diseased, unreasoned, and inexplicable time, struck an inert man repeatedly with their fists in the corner of the nineteenth floor of a glistening high-rise. In unbreakable specificity, these henchmen of rotted time targeted the man's face, hitting nothing else. These blows were wild with the cannibalism of violence, a chaotic hostility harnessed by and unto a chaotic hostility, a feeding of one fiend's pandemonic energy by another's. Fist after fierce fist was cracked upon the man's face, but he stood without resisting or crumpling. This face and what lay beneath, under ownership of this non-reacting man, this subdued man, 
seemed to contain neither nerves nor the instruments necessary for the awareness of harm. He remained unmoved, stricken in place as if unseen legions of phantoms pressed inwardly upon his body from all sides. Floor-to-ceiling glass panels sheathed the scene wall-to-wall from the open space where the sun set behind an abyss of commercialized parasiticism. Buildings and buildings spread to the eye's capacity of reach. The image of the brutality echoed beyond the glass out across the vastness of this metropolis encircling below. The world outside was quiet, eerily appearing to be stopped, as if to bear witness to the event occurring far from the means of life's natural flow. The subdued man's face was no proper barrier against the vicious frenzy transferring from demon fist to human flesh. It began to give and break and tear. Only seconds into the thrashing, but more seconds in than any average person should have withstood. The subdued man's face was upon the ground in a wreckage of lost corporeal identity. Even what looked to be sinister death, the man remained upon his feet, plastered against the onslaught of ravaging fury. Soon, bone was splintering, and once begun, the splintering did not cease until the skull of the subdued man was no more. It was a beheading by brute marring. Even in the absence of the mark, the henchmen, with their bloody, bone-cut hands, continued to punish with flagrant blows the air that once held the subdued man's face and head. Beneath these crossroads of horrific violence, the body of the subdued man remained, standing as sturdy as ever, as if it still harbored the visage of he who once harnessed it. This act continued until I intervened. From unscathed, resolute time, the union of past and future unto infinity, I enfolded into form and eclipsed the seven figures and their prey within a capsule of timelessness, trapping them in a fold of immovability. In my cloak of ages, I approached the subdued man's body and placed my hands deep inside of it. I released the clarity of sight, sight not from eyes, but from the intrinsic roots of perception, to examine this man's irregularity. But it was rejected. There was something dominating the essence of this man, a restrictive power elusive even to the vast understandings barred away in my being. This power forced my abilities away, and shunned me from the learning of this man's troubling purpose. There was a reason the menacing henchmen converged upon this being of life. There was a reason that they were formed from the rod of time into the assignment of abolishing the thing residing behind the head of the subdued man. Without the clarity of sight, I could not know that reason. I had but one option to decipher the enigma of the subdued man. I had to witness the transaction, I had to travel backwards in time to see what it was that had infested this man with such obstinate power. I traveled to a day that was neither gloomy nor bright, neither inspiring nor depressing. The leaves on the trees had fallen in preparation for winter. The air was cool and crisp. On land yet consumed by the spread of commercial plague, I watched as a man walked along the sidewalk of a decently trafficked road. A bird flew down from the sky and swooped by the man's head. He cowered, placing his arms above him. A woman walking in the opposite direction, on the opposite side of the road, gazed upon the scene. 
She neglected to look in front of her and tripped on a crack in the sidewalk, falling on her hands into a patch of mud. A man driving by saw the woman fall. The sight rekindled in the man the thought of washing his hands. He had changed his daughter's diaper and in his haste to leave for work had neglected to clean up. I followed this man, the man who would be the subdued man. When he arrived at work, the high-rise pitted against the writhing of commercial life. He walked to the right instead of the routine left and headed to the restroom. The man washed his hands and then walked towards his office. On the way to his office, he noticed a woman enter the front doors of the building who did not seem to know where she was headed. This woman could have capably received information from the lobby desk, but the man intervened and stopped to ask her if he could be of assistance. There was something about this woman's appearance and essence that eluded the man's understanding. There were thoughts spewed into his mind without the filter of control, thoughts he could not contain or fathom, longing, lust, change. This woman, to anyone else, might have been of the plainest representation, but to this man her existence wrote the formula of error, the meaning of future life ruin. I saw these things with my essence of time. I saw a future for this man that did not include his demise on the nineteenth floor. This woman, in that future, would destroy his life, not the henchmen of rotted time. This was the cause. This was the reason for the mysterious, apparitional manifestation within the man that was the subdued man. It was fate. Fate as a plotting, self-aware being. It had embarked upon a war against will, molding events, molding consequence, molding this very meeting. The man began to speak to the woman. One moment the man spoke words of direction, in a genial manner controlled by the demeanor of a gentlemanly nature with the hidden agenda of his incomprehensible thoughts, and the next moment his words ended and his face glinted with the visage of foreign control and rigor. The transaction of the uncanny power had occurred. Will had sent a minion in retribution against fate's actions into the human which fate was using as his pawn. This minion took over the man. It made him the subdued man. The subdued man now looked at the woman with dull complacency, opposite the character of his previous conceptions. He looked and looked at her in the awkwardness of a mid-sentence cease, and then abruptly left her amidst confusion. The man, within the brevity of instantaneous time, had become, not by chance or aperiodic circumstance, a vessel and possessor of ultimate will. While walking away from the woman, the subdued man turned his face to briefly glance upon me. This gesture brought a brief and delicate discomfort to my disposition. To gaze upon me, to see me, was to melt in deadened time. There was no magic, real or fantastical, with the precise enough power of awareness to sense me. But there this power somehow was, undoubtedly, yoked to a mere man. Two opposing forces had converged upon this man, intertwining him in inescapable rule and condemnation, first fate, and now will. For this reason, putrefied time, time racked with weary and impatience for the tampering of uncertainty, had sent its henchmen to nullify this incongruous host of fates and wills germs. My mission in the sequence of past events was complete. I acquired the information I sought. 
I return to the Shroud of Timelessness and the Seven Henchmen of Rotted Time and the lingering, standing body of the subdued man. Back within the physical form and the stasis of stopped time, I continued my work. Work now that I could complete in the confidence of understanding. For that was why I appeared, to carry out the task of my purpose, to keep time clean, orderly, and seamless. But not a few moments after I carried forth with my labor, moments in unsequenced time, the subdued man's body lunged upon me, latching its arms around me in a prison of unrelenting strength. Then, to complete its charge, it leapt through the window beside us, bringing me with it into a plummet of nineteen floors. Only in timelessness do I reveal my eternal form, my cloak of ages, but in this figure I am merely mortal, perishable. The body of the subdued man had neither face nor head to show of its acquiescence to my time encasement. It had never been restricted from the beginning. Will's most powerful possession had kept the body alive, notwithstanding the brutality of the henchmen of rotting time. I was the one tricked. I was the one plotted against. I was not time, and time cannot die, but without me, the rotting moments run rampant. That concludes episode 78 of The Dark Verse. You can download all of the past episodes at thedarkverse.com or on iTunes. Make sure you do so. And if you want to reach out to me and say hi or uh, be a part of my little Dark Verse weird community, you can do so by going to facebook.com slash sharkchild. I post random quirky remarks and, you know... The same random stuff that anyone does, but as Shark Child. So <laughs> stop by there and say hi. Uh, other than that, um, basically, don't die. Uh, and then you'll hear my next episode. So until then, all stories on the Dark Verse are the sole property of Shark Child and cannot be used for distribution, publication, or monetary gain without my written consent. Sleep deeply and remember to love. Mm-hmm.